Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's episode number 86 of the Audible Farm podcast, and this week it's brought to you by Couchtown Coffee. Couchtown Coffee is my favorite coffee. It's roasted right here in Iowa, and it's roasted to order, which is one of my favorite things about it. When you when you make an order, the order is made especially for you, and that's it. It's not like they're roasting hundreds of pounds at a batch and then just putting them in a closet and hoping and praying people buy them over time. No, it's roasted specifically for you. It's really awesome. So go to www.couchtowncoffee.com and find a coffee you like, make an order, and they'll ship it to you. One of the coolest things about this is they'll even give you 20% off if you use the code word. And this week's code word is lefty. This week's code word is lefty. Uh, the code word is lefty. It'll save you 20% on your order at www.couchtowncoffee.com. And hey, while you're looking at Couchtown Coffee stuff, go to their Facebook and give them a like. It is at Couchtown Coffee on Facebook. Thanks, Couchtown. Why is this week's code word lefty? Well, let's get to it. This week I'm sitting down with Eric Brown, who is uh, one of the owners and operators and managers, etc. at Lefties in Des Moines. Lefties in Des Moines, I've played there before handfuls of time. Um, I mean, it's it's a great place. It's really kind of cool looking. They got little eclectic paintings on the walls. There's, um, I mean, we talk about all sorts of cool stuff in here from like the lighting effects uh, on the stage or even in, you know, in throughout the bar, etc. So it's really kind of a fun place to go see shows. I've seen big acts, local acts, uh, traveling smaller acts. I've seen every type of band there you can imagine. I've been watching their online live shows that have been going on uh, throughout the coronavirus pandemic. And they are cool because it's you get to see bands you wouldn't normally get to say uh, see because you know I I can't get to every show and it's Des Moines a ways away for me. So what I what I end up doing now is I get to I get to see all these cool bands online. So I get to see all these bands I wouldn't normally get to play with or or things like that because of uh, the nature of how booking shows works. But it's really cool because like I said, Lefties has all sorts of stuff. They even have comedy nights. We get into all this stuff and more in the upcoming podcast. Uh, You know, this one's with uh, Eric Brown, who I've seen perform as well in the Maw. So uh, check them out live if you get the opportunity. Like I said, we're going to cover all this stuff in the upcoming podcast. So check it out. No more talking about it. Let's get down to business. It's episode number 86 with Eric Brown. It's the Audible Farm Podcast. With your host, Peter Stockdale. All right. So today I'm sitting down with Eric Brown. Eric, you are the owner and manager at Lefties. Is, is that right? I do something there for sure. Um, <laughs> okay. So so me and Ann uh, Matthew own it together and we kind of came up with the idea together to she would handle more or less the bar side of stuff, the money stuff and like the real work. And then I yeah. would do all the bands. I would book all the bands and do all the details and work with the sound and do stuff like that. So yeah, it's a, it's a hand in hand relationship there. Yeah. I, that sounds really cool. I mean, it's nice to have somebody, you know, you're tackling it from both ends there and, and you're not overloading anybody with uh, all of the tasks all at once. Yeah. It's really a, you know, it's a, it's a team effort between bartenders and sound guys and like everybody kind of just, 
takes their job and runs with it. And we don't have to micromanage a lot of things. It's just kind of, mm-hmm. we know our jobs, they know our jobs, they know their jobs and everybody just goes and does their own stuff and, and they do it all well. So yeah, pretty, pretty ecstatic about that. Yeah. I mean, you guys have always run a tight ship over there at lefties for people listening across the state. This is lefties live music in Des Moines. Um, I know there are, I know there is at least one other lefties located somewhere in Iowa, but this is the one in Des Moines. Uh, yes. the, the lefties live music. The lefties. <laughs> yes. Um, I, you know, and that's one of those things I've played at lefties before. I, I went there a handful of times and saw shows back in the day before I started playing live music and things like that. So it, it was, it was really cool to actually get to go there and stand on the stage, you know, um, and be one of the people that got to play a show there. And, you know, you always got, you guys have always had a really good lighting set up. Uh, you guys have nice murals all across the wall of different artists uh, from across the generations. Uh, you know, Lefties has always been one of those cool places. Even your lighting structures uh, in the place are like uh, old cassette tapes that are, are used to yeah. sh- shield the light bulbs. Like, it's all really cool, you know? Yeah, it was kind of a, you know, we it took us about about nine months of business planning. Oh, wow. Which was, our both of our first business ventures and so it was just me and ann sitting in the living room with papers strewn out across the floor googling how do you raise money how do you do this how do you do that like we started from you know ground zero not knowing anything really about how how to do a business i knew stuff about the music industry she knew a lot of stuff about music industry and the bar side and we kind of had a loose vision but when you start putting it together in all little details it's like what do we really want? What do we want to stand out? What do we want to be known for? What what experience do we want to give people when they come in here? How, how much do the bands matter to us? How do we treat them a certain way? So like no stone left unturned. We looked at everything and uh, like the design of the room, you're talking about like the tapes and the aesthetics and stuff and <laughs> kind of the vision was like, um, I want it to look like my 17 year old bedroom. Like, oh, cool. You know, like you hang up the posters of, of your favorite musicians and you put black lights on your wall and you put up stuff that's, you know, pleasing to the eye and to the ear. So that was that was the concept behind it for sure. That totally makes sense. It's it's really neat. I mean, like it doesn't just stop there. You guys have, like I said, you've always had like some of the best lighting and sound systems as far as uh, local bars that I've been to and things like that. You've got your own sound guy there. I believe, I believe even on the wall near the bathrooms, you've got a section from the Safari club wall. Does that sound right? That's, uh, it's from Harry Mary's. I think there there was, yeah, it was, it was, there might be some stuff left over from Safari there, but it was, uh, it was Gus Ramirez. I think that, that contacted me about that. He was like, Hey, there's a green room wall in the back room where the green room used to be when it was Harry Mary's. Is that still there? And I, I told him, no, it's been sheetrocked, so we don't know if it's behind that sheetrock or not. And that was kind of – we've got a video up on our page that of us discovering that wall. Oh, cool. We had, so, like, we're peeling sheetrock, and we see this little green wall behind it. And we're like, oh, shit. Like, it's there. It's intact. And so we were really careful to preserve that. And then we took it out, and we kind of skill-sawed it into pieces and pulled it out. And I was like, how do we display this? Like, this is history what what do we do with it and so yeah we decided to put it in the hallway back there and it's it really is an ode to history like there's everybody that's played there from burn the priest to i mean gg allen's on that wall and i mean it's it's so chock full of history the slipknot history is all over it it's it's like you can spend 
I've spent way too many hours just staring at one section of that little green room wall going, tenacious D? Really? Dude, (laughs) that was the first thing I saw when somebody said that wall was there. I went into a show. I went to the bathroom and I came out and it's like, oh, here's the wall. Here's here's the old wall. And it's the very first thing I saw was tenacious D's autograph. And I said, holy crap. Are you serious? (laughs) I know. know. It's pretty cool. Over time, we've had to... uh, you know, I wanted to plexiglass it because I didn't want people to write on it. I was like, yeah, you know, there, there is a green room now and you can write and put your stickers all over it. and We can make new history, but this history is to be preserved. And I think it's an iconic thing as far as Des Moines history and music history and art history goes. And, and I'd love to. There's more pieces of it actually in the green room that we haven't taken out yet. So, oh, wow. I'd like to do that in the future. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Dude, that is so, that's one of the, my favorite things about going to lefties is peeking at that wall and just being like, dude, this is, this is really neat. Uh, you know, you, you get to see the fact that, um, like you said, it's preserved history. It's something that happened in Des Moines and some of those names are absolutely monster names. Um, oh, yeah. and you might not have known it, you know, 10, 20 years ago, whenever the, they signed the wall, but now it's, it's undeniable. Some of the names that are on there. Oh, it's funny too. I've I've looked. I've probably spent more time than anybody staring at that thing. But um, there's there's this argument on the on that green room wall going back and forth with the Slipknot members talking shit about Sid, and he's like tagging DJ Starscream, and they're all talking shit about him being a horrible DJ. And it's like just this back and forth of everybody, like all these band members from Clown to everyone, just talking shit about DJ Starscream and. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's all pre-99. It's all pre-Slipknot stuff. So it's pretty pretty funny. Pretty funny deep dive. Well, uh, that actually brings me, like, we talked a little bit before the podcast. You and I have had very minimal interaction, even though I've played at your club. Um, I've, yeah. I've seen you play in the Maw before, which, by the way, amazing, amazing you. band. You guys, <laughs> you guys need to do more shows, but I think the fact that you do uh, select shows makes it that much more special when you get to see you guys live. That, that's the way we feel about it. It's like, dude, it totally makes I sense. Only, I can only run, you know, a couple of 10 Ks a year. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that's what playing in that band live is. I'm like, let's pick maybe 10 shows we want to do, make them really important and make them a big deal and keep it at that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I feel like that's something um, I feel because I don't know you very well. I feel like your history in the Des Moines music area probably goes back quite a ways. Can you like enlighten me on how all this started or uh, some of your ties to the local music area? Yeah. So my I was living in Colorado. I studied jazz at uh, northern Colorado. I'm a trumpet player. So um, I was living there. I lived in Colorado for 10 years. I'm originally from Georgia. So I was out there playing in some touring bands and doing some studio work and stuff. And then I had a friend who was up here, uh, Alan Domer was playing drums in the mall and he kept sending me like little YouTube clips at the time. They were the progression from, um, 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 inhale the ellipses and it, it had progressed into, and God blessed ignorance. So that's who they were when they were sending me clips and it was just Forrest Lone fight. And, um, and Alan, and I forget the other dude's name because I'm horrible with names. But so he kept sending me these clips saying, man, like you should come up to Iowa and and sit in with this band. Like, I think you could really contribute and I think it would be good for you. And I was like, I'm not moving to Iowa, dude. Like, I'm in Colorado. 
Like this, I'm in the yeah. best place you could possibly be on the planet. Like it's a beautiful state. It's a wonderful place to tour out of. There's tons of diversity and music and like, I've got it made here. And he finally sent me a clip that caught my attention and the song was called behold them all. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, yep, I'll come up for a week. I'll check it out. So uh, at the time I came up and visited their practice room was adjacent. Um, they, it was Jerry's building where all the bands practice like caddy corner to where house of bricks was. Mm-hmm. And so we sit there for every night for seven nights that I was up here and just play all night long, six, eight hours every night, just play, 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 play. And at the end of that, I just kind of made the decision. I was like, I can play music with these guys for the rest of my life. Why not Iowa? Like, why not? Yeah. Let's just, let's give it a shot. So I came up and moved up here, packed up a U-Haul, left everything, all my friends, everything I knew, all my safety net and just, moved up here and basically lived on couches for probably about three years. I moved up here, um, about 11 years ago. It was the winter of 99. So I guess this is my first real snow, like Iowa snow. And it was a bad winter. It was like really bad when I got here. Um, and then, yeah, I've been here since I've been playing with that band. It's had some, we've, we've gone through two drummers and, and a bass player at that, at, at this point, but, um, still the same band, still the same theory and how we write, how we perform our concept of the idea of the band is still exactly the same with just different members now. And it's progressed, I think nicely. So that's, that's what drew me here. And then playing around town and meeting other musicians. And as a trumpet player, I got to play with a lot of other people sitting in at little bars, little dive bars, like the Greenwood and, yacht club and all these other places, Carl's, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then just kind of developed a really good relationship with all these just world-class musicians that are in Des Moines of all places. Like anybody I talk to outside of Des Moines is generally like, where is Iowa? Or, yeah. Or are you in Idaho? Or, you know, they just have no concept. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. It's interesting. Cause if you tour as a musician, you go into you know cities and you're like, man, there's a ton of good musicians. It's like that everywhere. It really is like that. But Des Moines is pretty special to me for sure. So you're originally from Colorado then? I grew up in Georgia. Oh, was, geez. Uh, yep, I'm a Southern boy. So um, <laughs> you're world world travel then, or at least yeah, U.S. Yeah, traveled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I started playing in bands when I was uh, like like bar bands, probably when I was 16 years old in Georgia. Was that and, with uh, was that with the trumpet or did you play guitar yep. or something else? Yep, I was playing trumpet and it was kind of my first band was kind of like a fusion funk band. Like mm-hmm. the first thing we ever did was like stuff off of Frizzle Fry. So we were oh, into cool. Primus and yep. we were into that fusion funk kind of stuff and you add trumpet into it and I was doing vocals and trumpet and that just kind of and then I minored in piano, so arranging music was just kind of natural to me and i mixed keyboards in and arranging and vocals and other bands and then i sang in metal bands in colorado for a while and so i've kind of done just about all of it i played in tex-mex bands i've played in jazz bands orchestras you name it oh that's crazy so how did you how did you get started with like the trumpet being your main instrument i mean i i started on trumpet uh in school and i never really took it much farther than my senior year of high school and I never really, you know, put much love into it. But how did you like, how did you transition from like learning a trumpet to being like, dude, I can play this, this anywhere, you know, with any band or whatever? 
Yeah, it was a, it was really weird because I, I was, I was super young and we were actually living in, we moved around a little bit through the South when I was super young and we were living in Tennessee in Cleveland, Tennessee, and it was at a church and, uh, a really famous, uh, contemporary Christian, uh, trumpet player, Phil Driscoll was the, like the head of the music there. Okay. And he would come in and he would, he would like, the band would already be playing. I think he played like three churches every Sunday or something like he was already world renowned, but he would come in and like the, the church band would already be playing. And then he'd come in with the trumpet and just take the music from one place to another. Like, Oh wow. And so I was probably, probably five, six years old. And I basically just looked at my dad and said, that's what I want to do. And oh, he said, what, cool. play, play music? And I said, no, play that instrument, that thing right there that he's doing. That's, so that's sweet. Parents were smart enough. They took me to a local college and were like introductory music course kind of thing. I just went right to the trumpet and was like, I don't want to try anything else. This is the instrument that I want to play. Picked it from that, you know, six-year-old age, studied it, went to a fine arts school uh, through middle school and high school, and then studied jazz and classical music in college and it's just always been my first and kind of only love really that's crazy i think what a lot of people might not understand is uh generally speaking before the guitar became like the lead instrument in most bands you would go back to like the big band days and the trumpet the trumpet was kind of the lead instrument (laughs) yep yep it's always been a, a an alpha instrument it's funny like looking back at middle school and high school and how competitive brass players were, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> yeah. but then, you know, like me moving into like the smaller sector of going out and trying to play in a three piece or a four piece band, I was skateboarding and I was into punk rock and I was, you know, I was into kind of the social aspect of being out and, and going to small shows and thought, why, why does the trumpet not fit in this setting? Um, and just kind of forced myself upon these bands that I was in. I was like, yeah. hey, uh, you're just going to get trumpet. Sorry, I believe trumpet goes on everything. I don't care if it's, uh, you know, whatever it is, you're you're getting a trumpet player now. So, <laughs> Some heavy metal <laughs> breakdown and you're honking out a solo. Yeah, yeah some, I, some, honestly, like my second band, uh, James Gate, was a really heavy, heavy band. And we just put trumpet in it. We just mashed <laughs> it on the top of it. And uh, had I not been a a delinquent when I was young, we would have probably still been touring. I mean, that band was a fantastic band. I'd still be in Georgia, probably touring the world with that band, but yeah, heavy fusion music with brass. Like it just, that sounds wild fantastic to me. Yeah. Do you have any of that stuff recorded at all? Yeah, there's actually a, there's a James gate page on Facebook that has some of that music. Like, I mean, we were recording like on ADAT and stuff, even at that point. Like, oh, wow. so, yeah. Yeah, there's some stuff out there. That's crazy. I'm probably gonna have to look that up. I didn't. I didn't know that, and that's probably one of my favorite parts about this. Is I I know you have some prominence. You've got some chops. You've been around and done some stuff, but you know I I don't know you that well. So like that's really cool. I didn't. I knew you played trumpet, but I didn't know it went to this extent. Yeah, and it's and and because I don't I don't really play as much horn now as I used to. I mean. In the mall, I'm predominantly the keyboard player and the and the vocalist. So yeah. that's just. I mean, I, I love piano too. I, I absolutely. It, it's a it's an easy instrument for me to to transfer. My brain kind of thinks that way. It was either guitar or piano to minor in, 
mm-hmm. and I'd already been playing piano from a young age. So I was like, ah, I dig the piano. Like I love Elton John. And I, you know, I just, when I dream of music, I dream in piano. When, oh, I, when cool. I dream about like melodies, I dream in trumpet. So, Oh, neat. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to say like, I'm not well polished in music theory at all, but I did take a, a college level music theory class and uh, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know, it took me a while to gauge how everything was, like, put together, and then one day sure. somebody sat me down in front of a key, keyboard, and they were like, this is how it goes, and I said, this makes sense. Right, it, yeah, you can visually see it all, it's like, oh yeah, it's all there. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I mean, it's, you can do that with a lot of instruments, and you start to figure out the patterns, but for some reason, the keyboard was, it, I feel like, almost like music theory was written around a keyboard, yeah. Yeah. I believe so. I, and I mean, it is a stringed instrument, you know, like, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the same for me. Like I can play guitar, but I wasn't drawn to guitar. Like it didn't, I wasn't able, able to visualize arrangements on guitar the way I was on piano. So I was like, take the easier path. Everybody plays guitar. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, well, that's true. Take, take keyboard. Nobody. And the, now the problem is, is like, I realized like there's no real cool way to play piano. You just can't look cool. And, I, and I've always, <laughs> I'm like, that's the one thing I missed out on is guitar players look cool. And I don't get that. Like, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta I, get, can't, I can't do like the leg stance. I can't, you know, I can't do any of that cool shit. You got to bust out a keytar, man. That's what everybody says. I'm like, have you ever seen a keytar look cool? I don't know, man. <laughs> oh, that's also very true. You know, uh, the I I remember Children of Bodom had a their first keyboardist walked around with a keytar, and yes. it looks severely less badass than their yes. second keyboardist. I, I saw them live, uh, and they're fantastic. I saw them live in Denver at uh, probably the Bluebird Theater. And uh, I remember thinking just how amazingly tight they were, how yeah. big and how heavy and epic orchestration it was. But then I remember thinking, God, that keyboard player looks stupid. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that thing looks so dumb right now. Like, I just couldn't fathom ever doing that. <laughs> yeah, their original key keyboard is with the keytar. I remember looking at pictures of them back in the day, and I'm like, this looks borderline yeah. not yeah. badass. <laughs> no, it's the opposite. <laughs> but they got like a new keyboardist, and he has some weird way of setting up his keyboards where they're like vertical. So if he stands oh, at them, it's like they're sitting in his lap, but he's standing up. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, I've, I've seen that. And I, you know, I, I, I still try to. I love being a performer, I love performing. I also love the music to be particularly well done, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't, I don't like sloppy performances. We, we rehearse really hard, like, and we do that and the music's extremely intricate. So I'm pretty limited. Like I've over the years of playing here in Des Moines with, with the mall, um, there's, there's plenty of shows where I've kicked some keyboards over and elbowed some keys and broke some keyboards and <laughs> done some, some, uh, some rather, crazy things but you're pretty limited you know like um and i don't like playing standing up like it's not comfortable for me like i know a couple of keyboard players in town like rich cantrell is an amazing keyboard player from Sirius minor and a billion other bands and he likes to stand up and i'm like dude i can't do it it's just not comfortable for me i feel weird like i have to feels proper to sit up and have posture and i don't know i don't know what it is yeah, maybe it's a classically trained thing. I, I, I don't know, but it could it could be, or it could just be I'm fat and lazy at this point, <laughs> <laughs> dude. I I always wondered, like, too. I've I'm not. I don't play the piano. I'm not good at it. I used it in music theory class 
uh, and that was about it. But I, I also found that sitting at a piano and playing is kind of like typing at a keyboard. If you type too much, your hands kind of get tired, especially if they're not in the right angles and things like that. Right. I, yep. I oftentimes wondered about that if standing up and playing is more comfortable or sitting down as playing is more comfortable, or if that was why the guy from Children of Bodom tipped his keys 90 degrees so that way he could like stand up and play them while they were on the vertical instead of on the horizontal. It could be. I think, I think there's a lot to be said for like positioning of instruments. When I see guitar players, like really low strung with their guitars, like down by their knees, I'm like, that can't be comfortable. No, that's not your hand position. Like if you look at a traditional jazz guitar player, they're sitting down Yeah, and their guitar is basically chest level. Like, yeah, that's really where your hands are the most comfortable to be able to do large chords or sweeps or anything. Mm-hmm. Drums are the same way. If you set your drums up too far apart or at the wrong angles, you can't strike them right. I mean, I think every instrument's kind of like that. Piano's certainly like that. Trumpet is like that. If you hold your elbows in and squeeze your chest, you can't get as much air. You you know, there's just posturing things that that work better technique-wise for instruments, I think. Yeah, I remember that with the trumpet. If you have your elbows out, it... it you get to more you get more breath in and not only that but like if you were doing marching trumpet or walking around uh it would help stabilize the instrument more and all this i think it all kind yep. of weird how it worked together but it's you know it, it makes total sense yep yep yeah the trumpets always had to stand up in the back i did when i performed i uh, played with a local band here for a while called thankful dirt and it was just a kind of americana bluesy trio so it was very very quiet like the trumpet approach that i used was kind of like I tried to sound like a cello, basically. Oh, yeah. So, you know, beautiful, soft, whole note kind of stuff. Um, but I sat down to do that. But I, I just figured out a way to, to be able to create more air with my diaphragm by sitting down. But it looked goofy if I was standing up, like, next to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it looked like I was ready for marching band. And it was like, <laughs> that's not quite the aesthetic. Like, so, so part of it is visual, too, I guess. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> If you're going to be standing up with a trumpet playing on stage, you might as well be marching around like Les Claypool, you know? Cause, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Or be ready to blow the end out of it. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is probably one of my favorite podcasts I'm going to do. Oh, shoot. That was, man, I had a, just had a notification. Anyways, um, sorry for anybody that heard that. But anyway, so I got a... <laughs> uh, I got off the off the track here. Okay, so I'm talking with Eric. You run lefties. You are in um, multi. You have been through a multitude of bands. Uh, currently, yeah. you're playing in the the Maw. You're playing the keyboard in the Maw. And I I can't recommend this enough for people to go check out the Maw. You guys like, you guys are like you said. You're very intricate. You're very tight. You guys. You could tell you're practiced a lot. Um, it's very complex music that doesn't go off the rails and get muddy. It uh, you know it doesn't you have a direction you're going and it's not like you get go a certain direction and kind of get lost like some of these jammy bands and then finally bring it all back together at the end. It's, it's very (laughs) well, it's not fish. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's very well thought out. And, uh, you know, like I remember the first time I saw you God, where was, uh, God, who was playing on that show? Um, gosh, who was playing? I, I, I don't recall, but I still remember the first time seeing you guys play and I was just like, God dang, these guys are good. You know, it's a, we might've even opened up for you at that show, but it was, it was just one of those deals where it's like, I can't believe this much sound came out of that few people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We do try to create, um, soundscapes and kind of things that sonically make confuse the ear a little bit and I, I we kind of pride ourselves on that as like 
the listener can't quite figure out what they're hearing. Is that a guitar or is that a piano or is that a synthesizer or is that the bass? Like, we, mm-hmm. I, I love that idea of melding sounds together and trying to figure out how to just kind of create this landscape. And so I think all the songs we write are generally approached that way. And we like heavy music. All of us are fans of heavy, heavy, heavy music. And I don't think heavy music is a um, is distortion on a pedal. I think uh, heavy yeah. music is a mentality. It's It can be some of the heaviest music I've ever heard was classical music. It's it's the content. It's how it's created in the kind of the orchestration, how the violins are put together with with clarinets. You can make it really dark and ominous and, and pretty heavy with just those instruments, but people don't think of those as heavy. They yeah. don't think of piano as a heavy instrument. I'm telling you it is. And and we like to try to find those things inside of those instruments. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot that has to do with a uh, chord structure or what notes you're hitting next to other notes that can actually tell you what is heavy as opposed to what's not. Um, yeah. Kind of on the same uh, area as that. I've I've always thought that like down tuning a guitar doesn't make your music more heavy. Um, and I mean, that's like, I guess that's a personal preference or personal argument, but at the same rate, like I've, I remember watching a video and, um, I almost don't even want to say it was Joe Bonamassa, but it was Joe Bonamassa. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And he was, he was talking about, uh, how you can make a standard tuned guitar sound heavy and you don't need to, uh, down tune anything. And it was really kind of eye opening to see that like, oh, this sounds really you know like it it sounds like the heavy stuff that these other guys are playing but he's just playing in standard tuning with six strings so heavy heavy might be more of a mentality or uh how you uh tie everything together not necessarily like you said heavy distortion and and denim and leather and all that other stuff yeah it is and and it can also be like i know early in my you know songwriting history i'm 45 now it's writing songs when i was 11 years old but it, I also realized that it doesn't have to be minor chords that are heavy. It's, True. You know, I mean, like you can play an E tuning, you can play in major C tuning, and it can they can be major chords, and it's just how you put them together. Mm-hmm. And they can be they can be so off putting. Like, and if you listen to a lot of strange classical music, Bach and Beethoven wrote some really heavy stuff with major chords. They didn't use those sad minor chord progressions, like. And so, and that's a challenge. It's just a challenge to do it in natural tuning. It's a challenge to do it with major chord progressions. It's a challenge. So, I think uh, I don't know that everybody else is cheating, but I just I like that approach. I like the challenge of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I see totally where like a lot of that makes sense. Because even if you just break it down to the most basic stuff, um, I mean, this is more music theory than anything. But you can play a major scale, and if you start in a different spot and end in a different spot all of a sudden wham it's minor you know so you yeah. you can kind of shift in between the two a little bit here and there it happens a lot on uh the guitar with like an e minor to a g major that's like the yep. common one that a lot of people throw around on a guitar probably because yep. it's the easiest but you know i don't I, you yeah, know if you play through if you just go through like you know the 101 theory and the circle of fifths and just play through that you know, you'll you'll find out like, oh my God, these chords are all relative. Like the minor third from from C is E minor, you know, E flat minor or major, mm-hmm. and you, you can follow that kind of. But a theory is, <clears throat> I know it gets a bad rap. I know it does. Like I talk theory with people all the time that are like, what in the 
fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. like, I don't need all this shit. And my, my answer to them or my response to them is why would you build a house with just a fucking hammer? Yeah. Yeah. Why would you not have all the tools at your disposal to build a house? It makes it easier. Like yeah, totally makes sense. The ear, ear playing is great. And, 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 and I think that you, to be a career musician, you have to have a great ear. I don't think you can do it without that, but why not learn the other tools? It's just, it's the language you're speaking. Why not learn it fully? So, Oh yeah. Yeah. That actually brings me to like, I, I remember watching a Victor Wooten thing and that's exactly how he described it. He said, it's just like talking. When you first start talking, it's a bunch of goo goo gaga nonsense, but you yep. sit around people that know how to talk and then eventually you figure out how to talk. And that's just growing up yep. from being a baby to an adult. And you can do that with music too. You know, you just have to be around the right people using the right music to, to, train you to do the right things and that's kind of how that's how he described growing up i mean he's got a slightly different upbringing than most of us with a family yeah. of musical monsters you know yeah him and being he, one of the youngest and he's a monster himself like, yeah <laughs> it, it's insane yeah, I, victor's a freak yeah i love watching those guys and some of the stuff they do and it's like i didn't know you could do this on a bass and then it's like somebody's doing it on a guitar and like i didn't know you could do that on a guitar like <laughs> right yes i know <laughs> but yeah i mean uh, it's it's a fun thing about um, running the club too, is that we're you know because we do so many different levels of musicians. Like we do everything from kids recitals to Reverend Horton Heat. You know what I mean? From yep. the most refined, eclectic, brilliant artists to the ones that just started out three months ago. And it's fun for me, like from the local level, to even just watch bands progress, watch individual guitar players progress watch them get better from month to month when they come through the club and, and just watch them kind of come into their own and seeing them hone their craft. Like I, I just get so much joy out of that. I don't know why. That's gotta be uh, one of those odd benefits. I didn't even think about that. Like uh, I had talked to some pro wrestling guys on a couple other podcasts, but I'd, I'd went to so many pro wrestling shows. It was cool to see, you know, as the course of a year progressed, watch the new guys come in, get better and then be so good that you, you didn't even know they were new guys anymore. And that's probably the same thing with musicians. You get to see, oh, this is this band. They just formed. It's a bunch of guys or gals that have never played on stage before. And if they stay together a year down the road, you're like, oh, these guys are all real tight and stuff like that. And this person got better at the guitar. And that person's obviously better at drums. I bet it's really kind of endearing to see these people take their passions and run with them. It is. And they and, and watching them like progress from being nervous on stage to holding a room in their hand and, and yeah. seeing that feeling on the, like you can see it in their faces. Like once they've kind of run over that speed bump and been like, Oh, I'm the one in control here. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I don't have any reason to be nervous anymore. This is my show. I'm in control. And it's such a, such a neat thing to experience. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I, I can definitely say my first shows that I played, I was super nervous and now I have, uh like you said, I've got a little bit more command over what I'm doing up there. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not walking around like, oh geez. And I even, I even remember playing like uh, my first Unity show, which is, uh, it's like a power metal type stuff. And I, yeah. I was, it's a lot of notes. It took me a long time to practice all this stuff and get good enough to be able to play. And we played our first show, and I, I don't think I'd ever been so nervous to play a show before. <laughs> and you know, then I watched the video of that to a video that I had taken like four or five shows later and four or five shows later i'm like walking around head banging and and pointing, right. at, pointing at people and hamming it up when there's some you know uh some duo guitar stuff going on you know and so it's like oh yes. wow i i actually know exactly firsthand what you mean where you get you get more comfortable playing with these people and and being up there 
you know, like the first time someone puts a mic in front of your face at a club, you're like, uh, uh, hello, uh, this is, this is a band. Yeah. We are such and such from Des Moines. My name is David. And uh, this song is about my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And after a while you kind of get, you know, like, has anybody ever had one of the, you know, and then you actually kind of get to interact with them a little bit better than just being like, I'm playing a song. Hope you like it, you know, and just. It's it's also one of those things like uh, performing is so much more than literally just standing in one spot and not moving. Um, even yep. even though I will have to say some of the best bands I've seen have almost no flash and the dudes are literally just absolute shred machines. Think of it this yep. way: like a good example, of this would be the last time I saw you. You opened up for Marvin, and uh, oh, yeah. I sat down yeah. with Danny and did a podcast with him uh, that Ooh. week. Uh, Marvin's a good example. They don't move around too much, but nope. th- those guys you were getting more notes per dollar spent than with any other band, you know? And they've got a, they've got a really, I mean, they're really high IQ guys. They're obviously massively talented, but they've also got their stage show down. They have banter that works really well for them on stage. Oh yeah. Their humor is, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're from Israel. You know what I mean? They, their, their language is a little bit broken and they've got this funny humor about them and it's a little highbrow and it's a little quirky, but it's perfect. It fits the music. You almost get to peer into who they are by the way they talk to each other on stage. Mm-hmm. And then they shred the next yeah, song. Yeah. They blow your mind away and you're like, I just should fucking stop playing music. Like <laughs> That's how I feel every time. And I even talked to when I talked to him, I we we covered some of the same ground here where I was like, man, I watched some of your videos and some of your music theory gets so deep that I don't, you know, I, three minutes into this 20 minute video, I'm lost. Right. And, you know, yeah. and he's and he just said, well, you got to figure out where you got lost learn that stuff and then just go back into the video and watch it until you get lost again and figure out what exactly. I'm, ta- what I'm, and that's what you were saying. You got to find the music theory and figure out how to build on it to make this stuff because I mean, if we break it down to your house analogy, I'm building a lean-to, and I'm like, dude, this thing's pretty sweet. I can stay in here and uh, right. you know, out of the wind and stuff. And, and he's just like, well, this mansion here, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put an, uh, an egress in here with a solarium. And it's like, what? Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. It's a little bit past what I'm doing. But. Yeah, yeah. And we all want to live in his house, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, so like another thing I want to talk to you about here, uh, just to kind of switch gears a little bit, uh, you're, sure. you're managing lefties, you're running the show down there. Uh, I've always been a fan of your guys's great sound that you guys have run there. I've never been to a show there where the sound is off putting at all. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's the benefit of, uh, good people behind the soundboard probably or uh good sound equipment probably or uh the way the building is built i i don't know but it's it's always been one of my favorite places to go see shows because it's never like blindingly loud it's never over the top anything it, it just sounds good all the time is that something that you hunted down the right sound guys to do this or you just how did that all it work was, out for you it was everything uh it was it started with the room and so i had drawn out like kind of my acoustic vision of what I thought would work for what we were looking at doing. And what we were looking at doing was versatility. Like we wanted to be as versatile as possible. We wanted to do what I said earlier from kids recitals to, you know, solo acts to the biggest heavy metal acts to, you know, jazz bands. We wanted to be able to cover all of that. So in order to do that, you really kind of need a certain type of shape of room. You need a certain height of ceiling. So I had some requirements uh, acoustically. So when we were looking at properties, 
that 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 allowed us to walk into a room or look at the dimensions of the room and go that won't work that won't work that won't work i mean we cut down 800 different properties inside of des moines proper just by just by the dimensions saying oh, wow. these things these things won't work for us acoustically um and then once we did kind of fall into that room that it fit the parameters pretty much perfect i was looking for a 300 to 450 kind of cap room with 14 foot at least high ceilings and a certain amount of throw in the room so once we found that then we had to go into gear and so i probably went through at least i had six different companies in there and probably 20 different sound guys and we went through at least 10 to 15 i don't know different front of house systems oh whoa like in a bare room like just putting speakers on the ground and standing back and listening to different configurations of power amps through different mains through different subs through different crossovers like all these different i mean and that's basically where we said we're going to spend our money here yeah i mean fuck the cool looking chairs and fuck the cool looking tables and the decor. We can figure all that shit out. We can make it all ourselves if we have to, but if it doesn't sound amazing, then this is all pointless. This is absolutely pointless. So yeah, there's uh, nothing worse than going to a show to see a band you want to see. And it doesn't sound good. Yeah. And it could be a beautiful spot. Yeah. It could be, you could go in and be like, Oh shit, this place is cool as fuck. And it's got a separate bar over here. And like, this is and the bathrooms are super nice and all this and then you go and yet it sounds like shit and you're like, well, there's the experience. The whole experience is what it sounds like. Yeah. The, the whole point of seeing live music is to connect, right? Like mm-hmm. we're trying to connect, and if you can't have sound that you can connect with, if it doesn't do the musician justice, there's no point. I mean, I've walked out of more venues than I can count just because I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I was like, I love this band and it's not doing them any favors to be playing in this room. Yeah, yeah, so, that's totally true. I mean, that's like, so it's like it going to a- it was finding the room, finding the equipment. And then, yeah, Brad, Brad Millis on the, on the soundboard has been, he's been with me from day one. I hired him without hearing him mix up anything. Oh, wow. Like I hired him. He was in there with me wrapping cables and soldering stuff. We put, we, we wrapped every cable through the ceiling. We did it all ourselves and kind of at the end of it, he was just there every day just working 12 hours a day, 14, 16 hours a day for no pay, no money. We weren't paying him oh, anything. Wow. He was just there, like putting soldering speak on cables to, you know, running a 150 foot snake and trying to, you know, going through all of the stuff with me. And I hired him, you know, based on, I wanted one sound guy to run everything. And mm-hmm. I wanted, I want a part of that was consistency. It's like, I didn't want to have to figure out who was going to be my sound guy this Friday or Saturday. And then, when bands come through, they're like, oh, the sound was really good last time. Is that guy here again? Oh, and then you go, yeah, no, yeah. He's, he's not here tonight. I got a new guy. And that's kind of, a lot of places did that. They rolled, you know, at least that I know of but around the country. They just kind of roll through sound guys. I'm like, no, I want one, one guy to make it consistent. And when those bands come in, they see Brad, this relief you can see floods over them. They're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've worked with this dude and this dude kills it. Like he kills it every time. My light show is amazing. My mix is fantastic on stage. I'm going to have to do nothing but just play great tonight. Like that's a pretty good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, man, 
there's always the joke where like the sound guy sets the level and then the guitarist tweaks his junk and then uh, <laughs> right. the sound guy's mad and uh, i mean <laughs> yep. there, there's always the battle between the people on stage and the people at the booth in the back of the room and yep. I will have to say, like, you you said it there, like, you can go to some place and the sound sounds great one time and you show up the next time and it's a different sound guy, um, you know, and that could be from one month to the next, or they might just have, like, six sound guys revolving on a on a door there that are just like, oh, this is, it's Tuesday, so this guy's here, it's the third right. Saturday of the month, so that person's, you know, you end up yep. running into a lot of that situation, and I can say that it does make a difference, like, the secret... Yep. The secret weapon to a band playing live is actually the sound guy. And that's, that is something nobody ever says anything about. If I play a show and it sounds good and I know it sounds good, I always try and thank the sound guy because, yes. honestly, like without them, you're at their beck and call. Otherwise, you're just amps on stage and, yep. and, and praying like hell that it's mixed well. Yeah, and you've got you to have a guy that you trust – like it's one thing to get your stage mix and and you sound good on stage to yourself, but you got to trust that what everybody else is hearing is amazing too. So that's a big trust factor, especially with guitar players. Everybody, you know, harps on the guitar players. It's the trust factor of well, I don't think enough of my guitar is going out front, so I'm gonna lean back and flip it to five instead of three. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and so with Brad and having that consistency, we've cut down on a lot of that those musicians from the highest end musicians to the, to the beginners all have this trust factor with him that, that we built over the past five years that he's built over the past five years that they're, when he sets your level on stage, trust, it's going to sound amazing out front. You don't need to tweak anything. Mm -hmm. And if you want more guitar, ask for it in the monitor. And, and that's, that's, that's working with the same guy over and over. And, um, I'm proud to say that, you know, we get a lot of stuff from agents and bands that are, excited to come back in and that and that's always what they focus on they're like man the sound there was the best we had on tour we did 90 days on the road that's the best room we played and and that's that's, awesome i'll take that as the highest compliment of all time and yeah most of that is attributed to to brad for sure yeah i mean i can i've played i'm sure you've played that i'm sure everyone listening has played shows where you don't have a house pa or the house pa doesn't have the capabilities of micing stuff up or you've (laughs) got a house pa and it has the capabilities of micing stuff up but there's no sound guy you know so some right we've all played the shows where you just okay the vocals are going over the pa and everything else is just live sound and we're just gonna hope it sounds good you know and you yes, just yes. You, you pick someone out of the crowd like who needs to turn this up or down and it's always kind of rough because it's like well this person's related to the to the drummer so they're going to tell everyone to turn it down or you know just something right. like you end up always end up with one of those situations i recall being at a show not terribly long ago um probably within the last six months and um I went outside, I came back in and everyone's, you got three or four people up at the front of the stage with their thumbs up and their thumbs down, trying to tell everyone to (laughs) turn it up and turn it down. And finally I was just like, everybody stop, turn the guitar up, turn that bass down, turn the vocals way up there. We're good. And it sounded great. And someone was just like, that sounds really good. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't take much to mix stuff. I mean, but some of that, like I said, it also has to do with preference. If you're relying on one of your buddies to help you mix the sound, he's probably going to be like, oh, my buddy plays lead guitar, crank that shit to 20, you know, and like, you don't have to worry about any of that guesswork when you go to a place that has a sound guy, especially a good one, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. No, uh, we were, we were lucky finding him. Um, I also think he was lucky finding us. It's a, it was kind of a, a great marriage because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be in one room 
And you, hey, you can take you can take a great sound guy and you can put him in a room that he's never worked in, and he's going to have difficulties. Yeah, there's going to be little idiosyncrasies. There's going to be bass drops in certain parts of the room. There's things that you have to know about it. And we've had some great sound guys come through with touring bands, and I basically had to tell Brad like that's not up to our standards. Go back there and fix it. Like, <laughs> yeah, their front of house guy may be great for Spicoli's, but. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know how to manage our room, and we have a standard of sound, and we're in control of that, and that reflects on us. So, Ooh, yeah. Um, I guess that's another point. If you got your own sound guy, then the sound is indicative of who you've got in the room, and if you go to a place where there's no sound guy, then it's up to the band. So it reflects poorly on you, not necessarily yep. the band. I never even thought yep. of that. That's exactly right. Yep. And so I, we, I think we've done a good job of managing that and how – how we work with, you know, when, when there's bands, plenty of bands that bring in their own boards and their own, you know, power amp setups and they've got in-ear monitors and they've got their own stuff kind of put together. But when it comes to front of house, I mean, him doing it every day for five years, he probably knows how to do the room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) He's probably probably got it under control. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. Um, I, I, you know, I gotta ask you, uh, how did lefties get its name? I think I know, but, uh, let's enlighten some people. Yeah. So lefty is, uh, is Ann's dog. He's a, he's a tripod. He's missing his left leg. So, and he's kind of a local celebrity. Like he, he, but he's been like the, uh, I think he was one year, he was like on the lead parade float for pride fest and stuff. Like, you know, he was, he was kind of a staple in the East Village. Everybody knew him. He's got his own Instagram and Facebook page and shit. And um, when her and I were going through what to name the club, I mean, we probably, it's like naming a band. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to figure, we wrote hundreds of names down, you know, Capital City Theater and, you know, the the, the funky note and the fucking whatever, you know, you just come <laughs> yeah. up with all this shit. And we, we were just going round and round for weeks on it and could not figure out what to name the baby. And it had to be something that, um, that that fit all genres of music. Like mm-hmm. a good example of that is like Noche. Noche is the jazz club in town, and it sounds like a jazz club. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like a punk rock club. No, 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 it, no, 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 it, no. You know, it's very specific. Their image, the name, all of that stuff is very specific to what it is, and it tells you what you're going in to kind of experience. So we had to figure out kind of the logo and a name that would cover all of that. Would it be cool for Hemlock to come in and play under that moniker and under that name? And would it also be cool for kids and parents to come in for recitals? Would it, you know, would it, would it work for everything? And that was pretty tough to do. And I think it was just a late night and I think I was walking through the living room and I was like, fuck it, call it lefties and let's be done with it. Like we got to (laughs) laughing so hard about it. It was more humor than anything. Yeah, but then as as it, as we kind of said it more, it was like that's actually really good. Yeah, yeah, it's and a great. The, and then the image of the dog, and you know, and like yes. all of that kind of it all worked together, and it was like, yeah, who doesn't love Lefty? Like, he's such a good boy, <laughs> dude. Yeah, and I and I love Lefties. I love the the logo for Lefties. Um, if if anybody's looking for Lefties, it is on Facebook. It is at Lefties Live Music. I'll put a link down below so you can check it out. But the profile picture there is your logo, and it's yep. it's obviously Lefty the dog. He's winking at you, but his his left where his left arm would be. There's like a bandage over it. It's so yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. so cute and awesome. And that's yeah, was, that's on the back of the stage really, too. It was a really well thought out logo. I should give a shout out to uh, Pat Moriarty is the one who uh, drew that image. 
Um, Booyah. And we had quite a few people work on imaging for us. I mean, we know all kinds of great artists across the state and across the country. And, and Pat was just one of those guys that had this vision for it. He knew he knew me and he knew us from House of Bricks. The, uh, the Moriarty family is obviously from Des Moines, but he was teaching um, – uh, comic art and design, I believe, out at the Seattle Art Institute. So the guy's a you know renowned, world renowned artist, mm-hmm. and he kind of just stepped up and said, "I want to volunteer to do this for you guys. Like, it's such an important thing to have the right image." And he was studying like the very early Disney artwork at the time. Oh, dude, that makes sense. <laughs> That's where it came from. Was he was doing the very beginning of animation, like he was doing those first drawings of the first cartoon animals, and so he kind of went through. I, I, there's pro, he probably went through hundreds of different sketches. He's such a, a, a focused, particular guy about his artwork, and and that's where he landed. And and when it came across, man, I was just like, oh my god, dude, it's so amazing! It captures everything in an image. Like that's that's what artists are amazing at doing. So. Yes. Oh man. I mean, I can say that as far as like my Audible Farm logo, I. I could have made something, but it would have been absolute trash. So I hired an artist to do it, yes. and it looks amazing. So it's <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. No, I love it too. I saw it, and I was like, "See, there's something to be said. Like your your image can kind of make or break it. You know, it like, totally it, does. It, yeah. Any bands listening to this, I yes. highly recommend find somebody local. They probably won't charge more than fifty, a hundred bucks, or something. Or find yeah. somebody you like on the internet and pay them a couple hundred bucks for the rights yep. to use an image because it'll stick with you forever and it'll it'll be great it'll look good it, it's not something that's just a normal font over a black background that has you know uh, no comic sans i don't <laughs> see it <laughs> oh, <laughs> true i've i've even fought with myself on that with some of the uh, stuff i do on audible farm as far as like what font should i use should i use this and it's like now nah, it looks like a child would have mm-hmm. done that in in paint or something you know so i right. <laughs> i avoid some stuff and i i do a little bit of the editing myself for images but i like i said i i've hired a professional artist to do it i paid him the, the money he wanted because it looks that good and it's yep. justifiable i love your guys's Absolutely. image there and now you described it as like early disney meets comics yeah it's, it's perfect uh you get the yep. black and white the shading everything it looks great I, yeah I, I can't say enough about how awesome the lefties and the story that goes behind it. It all ties into the the place. It's it's actually a very awesome story. Occasionally, Lefty shows up at Lefty's, right? He does. He's uh he he's getting to be a little bit older, dude, and his ears are pretty sensitive. So Ooh, yeah. we won't take him in when it's loud. Like mm-hmm. we try to be aware of that, and he won't keep his headphones on. So, <laughs> 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 but he loves being in there. Like anytime. You know, either one of us are you know, about to walk out the door to go to work. He's like, "Can I go, please?" Can has, you know. And <laughs> we're like, "No, it's heavy metal tonight. You can't go, buddy." So no, no you can't um, has cheeseburger. Can has no. He he. Uh, but he goes on comedy nights. Comedy's every Tuesday night. So he goes to the open mic and runs around and begs burritos from everybody. And dude, um, I gotta get twenty of your comedy nights. Oh, they're so good. They're uh, so good, man. They're I've, so good. I've only been to a couple local comedy shows, and I think it's like the music scene. I didn't realize how funny local people were oh, uh, man. until you actually go see some of them. Like, this dude's from Iowa. Are you serious? Because this is hilarious. Yes. yes. Underground comedy is uh, – we've known those guys. I've known those guys since I moved into town and was working door at House of Bricks. Like, they they are a staple in the community and they're they're also another fun one to watch develop over time like they you know they're 
how that comedy scene has grown and then and then comedy clubs opening like Sid Joarker opening uh, Teehees and just to see like this burgeoning comedy scene. And I'm telling you, art begets art. Like, yes. It's just the way it is. And we've watched it develop in our room. Like when we were first doing those open mics, it was just the 12 comics that were getting on stage. But we stuck with it. They stuck with it. And, you know, before COVID started killing us all, um, I mean, our, our comedy nights were could be 130 people in the room Jesus. with 50 comics signed up to do four-minute bits. Like That's insanity. It, it was complete insanity. And it's, very, it's not a comedy club in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. So we get pretty loose and... Everybody gets pretty buzzed in it, and there's always crazy stuff that happens. Like some of my favorite stories are out of those Tuesday nights. Like, why are we this drunk on a Tuesday night? Like, why did this happen? And it's I don't know. I, I love that organic thing. We didn't force it. We didn't try to market it heavily. Heavily, we just said, "Here's what we're gonna do. We enjoy comedy, and we're gonna stick with it. And hopefully, you guys dig it. And those guys have been great at cultivating that. And yeah, it's been one of our more successful things we've done for sure. I bet you run into some cool stuff because comedy is uh, one of those things where think about it like in a music sense. You don't just go up on stage and like, we just wrote this right now, like as we were playing it, like that's not how comedy works. But, but in some sense they got to have like a premise and then they've got to go try it somewhere. You can't just practice in your room kind of like a musician can. You got to see what people are going to laugh at and how they're going to react to things. So so you might end up with people trying out fresh bits in your place before they take it to a comedy club where it's probably a little more polished that that could be ludicrously hilarious it is i mean it really is and sometimes like we're probably not supposed to say but like we've let other people bring their dogs in you know so like lefties in there so there's been nights where there's like four dogs chasing each other around a room full of drunk people and they're all getting on stage and like (laughs) it's just mayhem it's complete and utter mayhem but it's like it is organic comedy. There's drunk people that didn't know they were walking into a free comedy open mic and they're heckling and they get shredded from the stage by somebody who's <laughs> never dealt with a heckler. And it, it creates new bits and it creates fun environment for everybody. I, it's just, it's such a cool thing, man. I love it. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk about how everything's changed uh, due to the coronavirus for you because yeah, th- things have changed, but you guys have adapted pretty well uh, for a live venue. As far as, as far as I can see, you're one of the, the uh, venues at the forefront of bringing in other people, uh, bands, yeah. um, local acts, things like that, and letting them play uh, an empty venue show. And uh, I mean, there's venues doing that, and people are doing it from their basements. But the one thing I have to say, you guys still are running all the professional sound, professional light. You're letting them on stage. You're doing the whole nine yards. Not only yeah. that, but you've got a good camera setup. You've got good transitions. You've got that if you go to lefties and look at any of the past live shows they've done uh, during the coronavirus epidemic that we got going on here, it's, you can see that it starts out with a, Hey, we got 10 minutes till this band is here. Here's a logo. Here's the countdown. And then when it's time, it's time. And I feel like you guys have one of the most professional setups for this oddly unique situation that's going on. And uh, any bands I'm, I'm telling you right now, any bands, looking for a place to play live during this, you'll play in an empty venue, but you will have people watching you online and lefties might be the place to hit up. It's a, it's a weird experience. So I, I took my band in to do it. And, um, 
I mean, we've all played to kind of empty rooms before, so we kind of know what it feels yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, oh, yeah, this was one of the shows we didn't promote very well. So, great. We've got Brad, the sound guy, we're going to play for. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of once you get into it, um, it's uh, you're just back playing loud music again. And there's, you know, we're turning the PA up. Like, we're letting you get the full experience as a band to be able to play loud. And, and we all love to do that. So, um it's been it's been really good for us. We needed to we needed an outlet um, um, musically because that's who we are, and we know that bands do too. And then we know that people on, online needed that as well. And then you want to be safe at the same time, you know. Like we're mm-hmm. doing this over Skype. Like you want to be as as safe as you can with social distancing, and we want to follow guidelines. And we want we don't want anybody to get sick. We want everybody to be as safe as they can. So. We're limiting it to one band per night, so it allows us to sanitize the room after everybody's gone and all the gear and everything on stage. And it allows us to feel like we're doing best practices, but we're still getting to kind of do music. Um, mm-hmm. And they have been really successful. I mean, the there's bands that play for 30 people that, you know, when they're when we put it up on a stream and they did their forty five minute to an hour set, there's four thousand people that viewed it. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to do that. And we know that we the boys worked really hard in the back to get the sound that, you know, the feed that was coming out um into people's computers or phones or whatever, that it was gonna be a really solid compressed sound, that it would sound like something on Spotify so the the quality was right. Yep. Um and that's good material for bands to keep. They can take that and use that as promotional material. Like we've had tons of bands go, man, that's like that one song. That's the best we've ever played it. And now we have a live clip of it mm-hmm. that's not recorded through somebody's cell phone standing two inches from a gargantuan speaker. Like, yeah, yeah. So so I, we feel like we're doing a service at the same time. It's also a community effort to – we we want to open stuff up as bad as everybody else does. I want to do big shows and I want a bunch of people in there having fun. So we're just trying to figure out how to survive through donations, people uh, donating to our PayPal and our Venmo during those shows um, and trying to get good footage for the bands that they can use in the future and that they can draw more fans in with. And I think we'll all just figure out whenever this is over, we'll all get back together and smile about the experience i'm sure yeah i mean that's brilliant too because that's actually the reason i started audible farm uh, over two years ago was the fact that i played in a band they didn't have almost any live videos and like you said the only live videos they had was uh somebody with a cell phone camera from 2004 held vertically (laughs) six inches from one guitarist you know and so and you end up with that situation so much online and it it's a literally nothing more than a detriment to the band that's being recorded. Because, yes. And if you get, you know, one of the first things a label will tell you, if you get signed as a band, I've been on different labels, they will go tell you, unless they, if they have their own PR team, their PR team will go and rip everything off of YouTube and everything off your social media. They will not allow you to have crap footage out there because somebody's going to find it and nobody wants to hear that. No. That's not a representation. I know what my band sounds like, but it doesn't sound. I I don't want um, my drummer's girlfriend's sister's mom's cell phone footage. Like yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's not a representation of my band. So. Yeah, it sounds like somebody's playing through like a field culvert or something. It just, yeah, they yeah. just don't sound good. Just focused on the drummer's left hand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, that's 
with Audible Farm, I was like, I'm going to record some of the bands I see live. Some of them don't have any recording. Some of them don't even have the means to record stuff in a studio or on an independent level. So what I'm going to do is, I mean, what I did was I walked around with a portable recorder that got the best cha- sound for the cheapest uh, amount of money that you could spend. And sure. I just set that in a room. I recorded with a cell phone and I mushed the two audio files together. Yeah, you know, you take the one off the video track because it's probably sounds like doo-doo. And then right. you, you put the nice portable recorder in there. You slice up all the videos. And yep. I would I would send them to bands and say, hey, I made this video for you. I'll chop it up into individual songs if you want and put it on my YouTube if if you give me permission. And some of those bands, um, one of the original ones was uh, a sports team who is now TV Cop. But I remember I, yep. I recorded some of their footage and, and gave it to them and, and put it up on the Audible Farm YouTube page. And I said, hey do whatever you want with this. I don't care if you, I don't even care if you rip the, the videos off and put them on your own channel. It doesn't, none of it matters to me really. Cause right. it's all just for public uh, domain, but they used the footage that I shot and sent it to people and got bookings based on the fact that there was better audio and video quality at certain yeah. locations, you know, and that, that does make a difference. So believe it or not, you guys are doing a huge due service to some of these bands uh, to give them the audio quality and video quality that they might not, otherwise have an opportunity to to even have at their disposal we don't all have budgets and and you know you can get you can get audio without the visual and it's it and that doesn't do enough justice sometimes like true sometimes sometimes i need to see mr bungle live to know what mr bungle is like you know i I want to see uh, we that's why live shows are so great i want to see footage as as somebody who books bands i go look for footage of bands all the time I have to take into account that it's some dude's mom's cell phone, but I'm yeah. trying to look. I'm trying to look through that, and if there's good footage, man, like Marvin, they they were they were one of those ones that you go look at their YouTube footage. It sounds so fantastic, it's ridiculous. Yeah, they, you know, they, live feeds of them in the studio recording those songs, like it, it's ridiculous. So that's that's an easy band to book based off of you know me spending two minutes on youtube going holy shit yeah yeah that you, band's got a plan here <laughs> yeah you hear one of their songs on spotify or wherever and you're like dude that sounds good and you go look them up live and you're like it sounds just as good live you're booked and it's oh, yeah. it was like yeah. i guarantee you for you it was like a like you said like a two minute decision you're like yep okay yes. i'm yeah. in <laughs> <laughs> no brainer and then i was like and i'm gonna make my band play with them yeah <laughs> that, that was the thing though like if you think about it and you bring in marvin into town um, and this is no offense to me being in a punk band, but like three finger Betty is probably not going to be the best opener for Marvin, you know, right? Yes. you know, and that's, like I said, that's nothing against me and my punk band or any of the other punk bands or rock bands that are out there. But you guys, you guys were a great fit for when I went and saw Marvin at lefties, you guys were a, a amazing fit. You might've even opened up for him the last time I was there. Yeah, I think it did. Uh, they, and, and of course, you know, like I, I always asked them, like after we did, but when we did the first show, I was like. My band's a prog band, but we're way heavier than you guys are. Like, are you down with it? And, of course, Danny was like, dude, you guys are sick. That's a perfect fit for us. Like, we don't care if it's like us, like if it's jazzy like us. But if the approach is similar and 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 you're you know what I mean? Like you're you're being very careful in how you approach it and you're well rehearsed. Like, yeah, we want to play with those bands. We don't care what their genre is, per se. So. Yeah, it's going to be yeah, kind of hard to match something with gypsy folk jazz anyway. Yeah, who, who, uh, exactly. And they've, they've cut out their own niche. There's nobody that sounds like them. So, Oh, no. And I get lots of bands like that, man. I get excited when I'm, 
hear a man and I'm like, what in the shit do I put that with? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. And then it just makes me want to go out into the community more and listen to more bands live and like run up and down Ingersoll on Monday nights and listen to the open mics and check out who's playing at the open mic at Carl's and, and be outside of my bubble and, and listen to up and coming bands and developmental bands and stuff. And I, I get most of my stuff from that. Cause there's just no way like bands are changing constantly. I've got a list of 400 local bands and yeah. <laughs> those, those bands are rotating members and changing names and doing different genres. And some of them, when I met them 10 years ago, were doing blues and now they're doing honky tonk. And it's like, you've got to, you got to be plugged into it and understand it and, and be around it. Yeah. Submerge yourself in it more or less. And it's a good scene to submerge yourself in. Like, I, I again, I go back to, I think we're extremely blessed <clears throat> to be in the city we're in and to have the talent level of visual artists and uh, musical artists. And uh, I mean, everything from, but again, those murals on our wall, that's local. That's, those are local artists doing those incredible things. And mm-hmm. it's, it's everywhere here, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, Des Moines is easily a treasure trove of, of awesome musicians, artists, and things like that. And I think the toughest part is just getting everyone to kind of not necessarily sit down together, but getting people in touch with one another to find the right people that are going to help mix either the art with the music or, or cross promote each other and things like that. That's, I also feel like that's been one of the most difficult things as far as playing in the Des Moines area is, is getting that following or, or letting people know that your band is a, a band that is here to stay. For example, like three finger Betty has been around for, six or seven years but for the last four years it's been this you know three or four years it's been the same lineup with with me and the band etc and um that's one of those things where like we're not gonna just like disappear off the face of the map one day you know and and having those steadfast bands i feel like that might be some of the deterrent that some people have when they want to uh i don't know say like focus some of their attention on these bands is the i guarantee you there's some people that are like well this band is just going to break up in a year anyways so there's no reason for me to invest anything in them that's yeah it's why you know it's it's interesting you bring that up and and we're talking about this is because it's it's part of the approach that we used from for booking from day one was that we were going to try to promote the venue as opposed to the individual bands Mm -hmm. because the rollover and because yeah. we're going to bring in bands that people have never heard of. So do, do I try to market 35 bands a week? Like, how do how do I do that? No, you market the venue. You market the experience. Mm-hmm. So if people start to gain trust w- with me personally and that they know that, well, I don't know any of those three bands, but Eric books good bands. So I, I'm, gonna go, I'm just going to go out. I know it's a Wednesday night, but fuck it. I'm yeah. going to go out and take a chance on it. And I think that's how the scene develops at a more rapid pace because yeah. they don't you know, they, they may that you may have your followers that you build as a band but then you're playing a destination I, woolies did a great job of doing that like, oh yeah oh shit if your band's playing woolies then fuck everybody's got to go everybody's yeah. going yeah yeah so that that was kind of the idea behind that is that yeah you may not know who it is but you may walk in and it may be jeff banks and yeah. you may go oh shit like <laughs> I had no idea that Jeff Banks played in this band, but I should have known that it was going to be an amazing night, regardless of what night it is. Yeah. 
I've, I feel like you guys have done a great job of that over at Lefties as far as uh, booking booking bands that are willing to play, and not only that, but uh, put it, pairing bands with uh, headliner bands that are coming through and giving them a shot to kind of yep. allow them to open up for a different crowd and a different group of people. And um, I mean, I oftentimes think, even though Des Moines isn't really that big I, sometimes i feel like location has something to do with it i mean i've played yes i've played venues all across des moines and it's kind of crazy because you go to like one venue and it's the same set of people that'll always go to that venue to see you play but if you play you know two miles across town all of a sudden all those people that are always at this show over here at this bar are not at that bar do you ever run into anything like that yeah for sure i mean like Ingersoll has its thing and East Village has its thing. Downtown kind of has its thing. We started over in Dogtown, you know, in the, in kind of the campus area and there was really nothing over there. Mm -hmm. And so, but we knew that there had been music there before and I like where it's located. I love the Sherman Hill area. I love Dogtown. I love, you know, that campus area. Um, And so as we opened, it was like, we know it's a little of an uphill battle to make this a destination point because it's not on Ingersoll or it's not in the East village. Like we didn't have kind of the benefit of foot traffic necessarily. So we just kind of had to rest on our laurels. Like people are going to show up and we're just going to kind of keep plowing the road, you know, as straight as we possibly can. And five years later, we're still here. So Mm -hmm. uh, we have to be doing a couple of things, right? (laughs) I hope, (laughs) you know, like it hasn't all been on accident. I think that's something we've seen really over the past five years is that more places are doing music. And we feel like that we've affected that and Woolies has affected that gas lamps affected that. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, vaudevilles has affected that. Like the harder we push, the harder they push, the harder they push, the harder we push. We're trying to get better shows. They're trying to get better shows. And it's this healthy, it's not competition. It's just this healthy way to energize kind of the music scene. And now we're seeing new music venues open up. And now we're seeing, you know, there's just more bars that are doing music. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, you you stole my thunder. That's my, that's my, like I booked those three bands last week and now they're playing your little rinky dink bar. But it's really cool that that's happening. Like, yeah, because all these business owners, all these bar owners are seeing the value in live entertainment. And that's what we want. I mean, that's what we want. We want to have 50 choices on every night of the week to go out and see something wonderful. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably one of my favorite things about it is I've, I always looked at competition as something that was, um, not always a bad thing because it, it just helps everybody raise the bar. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, whether it's, you're in a band and there's another band that plays kind of the same genre as you, um, and they're playing across town. It's not a bad thing. You know, you get to, you get to, at least there's live music out there. I mean, I've only been in the music scene three or four years, but I recall like being in the music scene a while back and there's like nowhere to play, you know, in in Des Moines, there's two places. Yeah. In Des Moines, there's like capital of the state to play. There's two places to play. Like that's, there should be 50, like it, it should be, and hopefully it continues to grow that way. Hopefully that, you know, once we get past, uh, this kind of pandemic that uh, that we go right back to you know mission statement number one and that's to give people great experiences musically and artistically and i think it will i think it'll continue to grow it's going to be a slow process rolling back up into it I, I think we talked about that a little bit but um i don't know i'm excited for it i think people are super thirsty for lack of a better term <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i mean like i feel like 
it's not i mean it's not just in the des moines area i'm i'm located in in the northern iowa area and even up here it just like the local music scene's been blowing up the last few years places that are allowing music into their venues is is blowing up and yep. it's it's kind of like you said earlier like you can you can tell the places that have the the best available everything based on the fact that like like i was talking about lefties you guys have your own lighting a stage sound system uh sound person uh, there's a local, there's a bar like in the building right there. It's not, it's fully right. stocked. It's not like uh, just something that people hacked together and, and we're just like, well, we're going to have live music. I bought a, a $400 PA from somebody just trying to figure it out if you can. And Right. You we're know. not a bar that does live music. We're a music venue that has a bar. Oh, I like yeah. that. I like that well, a lot. I always tried to say that. People are like, well, it feels weird. Like I'm going to a bar. No, you're not going to a bar. We just happen to have concessions just like the zoo. You're not going to the zoo to catch a beer. You're going to the, I'm glad they have concessions and you can get a beer because I want to see the hippos while I'm drinking a beer. But that's brilliant. <laughs> I love the way that that comes out. Like that's, that's, I feel like every podcast you come away with some gold and this one, that's, that's gold money right there. You're a music venue that has a bar in it. It's not necessarily a, just a bar you're going to that's going to have people in the corner being loud, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Dude, that's that's yeah. brilliant. The music, not the novelty, you know, it's the, it's the focus. And so. Um, I think, I, I think there's, and there's different, I think I've, I've played music in every kind of place there is to play. I've, I've busked for money. Like, so, and I think they all serve their purpose. Oh yeah. 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 I I like, I like going into a bar that isn't a music venue and playing music in there. Like I love that experience, but then there's a different experience when you go into a music venue that's like, oh, shit, this is what they do. Like, this is <laughs> this mm-hmm. is full time, seven days a week, what they do. Like, this is they know how to load us in. They have, you know, everything. Everything is down to the detail of how you load in, when you load in, when you sound check, when you play like and, and it's run in a professional manner. And again, to me as a musician, that always puts me at ease when I know exactly what's happening and how it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. I have to do play good. I just got to play good tonight. That's it. Yeah, there's nothing worse than standing on stage hooking stuff up and you're like, what's going on? Like, who's playing first? Or are we backlining? Like, there's nothing worse than going to a venue and, and being told one thing by one person. And then the lead guitarist comes up and he says, no, we're doing this instead. And it's like, uh, who's... Or even going into a place and they say, oh, we didn't even know there was bands tonight. You know, Oof. Oof. This would be great. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, you, I bet a lot yeah. of people show up to this, you know? Yeah, we're on the poster on the front fucking door. You didn't know <laughs> yeah. you work here? Yeah, the person that walked through and unlocked the door, they didn't even look at it. <laughs> oh, I didn't know there were bands. Yeah. <laughs> Not good. Not a good sign. No, no. And I mean, that's that's just the thing you go through. Like, I found that in the music seen so much there's there's such a variation of like you said you you can busk on the corner you can play in somebody's basement in their house you can play like i said house shows you could play at a venue that is not designed for live music but has like a corner set up for it there's so many wide varieties of places to play and that's one reason i'm glad that lefties exists is the fact that it's a very professional place for people who might not be an actual professional musician to go in and play and get that environment and that interaction from a crowd. You know, it's, it's really kind of cool. It's not something that is available everywhere for everyone. You know, even, even if you go across the state, like I, I, Waterloo has Spicoli's, but there's, there's very few places like this that exist in these big towns that have the following that lefties does. And I think a lot of it, lies in your guys' professionalism as far as providing a place for bands to come play that is a professional environment. 
Yeah, and it, and it does have a. It's got a lot of history. It's got it's got a lot of cool things going for it, man. Like we were, and we're lucky with the community, the community effort in helping us build it and find it and create it. And it, it wasn't just me and Ann. It was from carpenters to painters to you know mm-hmm. to just people going, hey, I'll help you clean the bar. I'll help you do this. We'll help you do that. It was such a such a big effort and that we always felt like oh we're the green bay packers of venues like everybody oh, cool. everybody owns a stake everybody has something that they've touched in that room hopefully like someone asked me once like why are there sequins on the wall over there and i said because someone wanted to put sequins on the wall <laughs> and they were like that's the best answer ever and i was like it's the only answer i don't i didn't commission art to happen it just happened it like spilled out of somebody's purse and now it's on the wall and i'm cool with it like i dig it so yeah i think some of that is like uh god what's the right word for it's like a happenstance it's just like a lucky thing that happened and you just kind of let it go and it's like dude this turned out really cool because i didn't put my fingers in it and muddy it up (laughs) yeah exactly i think there's a lot to be said you know like bands that get signed they talk about that all the time you hear them talk about timing like we were just in the right place at the right time kind of thing. It's like mm-hmm. capturing lightning in a bottle. I feel like we were kind of in that situation where we had the right idea at the right time. We found the right location, the right people stepped in and helped us. And now we're just kind of like trying to manage the snowball that it is like had direct it in the right direction and make sure that we um, do it justice. Cause it's got its own life. Now we, we, we don't control it. <laughs> it's yeah. its own thing. Dude, I we've covered an hour here. I feel like we've we've talked a little bit about uh, what you're about, kind of where you came from, and how you got the inspiration to start Lefties. And it, it sounds like it all came from the fact that you uh, are a musician yourself, and you've played in handfuls of places, and you just wanted a place that was going to be comfortable for you to be in, and was just kind of like home for you and other musicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it really is that. It was in a selfish sense. I was like, this is kind of my dream venue. Like I like, I like, again, I like playing the little dive bars. I like playing the big places, but that 300 to 350 person room is, is magical to me. And and that's my own personal experience with playing music is that's, that's, that's where I've always been able to express my personal self musically the best. And I think a lot of other musicians feel that way too. At least that's the feedback I get, you know, I've Mm -hmm. been around musicians all my life and most of them love playing in a room like that. So we're just, we're just lucky at this point. Yeah. I mean, there is something to be said about that. Like if you can play in a smaller venue that's packed and you get that intimate uh, interaction with the fans, it's, I I mean, I've never played to 10,000 people or anything like that, but I'm, I'm assuming it's just like it's, it's this weird thing where you get to interact with the audience because it's just small enough yet huge yep. that you get. Yeah, you lose connection a little bit. I, for me personally, like I, I've played in front of 90,000 people. Juice, and juice. Y- it, you lose it. <laughs> like you lose connection with people. Then you're just kind of like performance art. You know, it's almost like it's almost like just being on a video. Like you're just kind of you're, you're you can't really pick anybody out of the crowd. But when you're in a room that's 300 people size like you're connected with everybody and there and then there's a reason why those bands that are like the reverend horton heats and the black flags and you know the agent oranges and gutter mouths and bands like that 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 want to play that room specifically they're like no we we love that intimate kind of big small kind of venue they love that spot Mm -hmm. 
and they can go play for 10,000 people. They do all over the world. But then they still love coming to Des Moines, Iowa and playing a 300 person room. Like it's, we all kind of, I think it's, it takes us a lot of us musicians back to, back to our roots and like big sounding little rooms. We dig them. Yeah. I, 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 like I said, I just, I love the fact that you got, you said it perfectly, a big little room. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's big enough that you can put a bunch of people in there, but it's not so big that you lose any sort of intimacy. Um, you're not, like I said, it's not like Woolies is too big, but if you've packed Woolies full of people, it's just like, there's so many people in here. I don't know what's, I don't know what's going on. You know, yeah, you no, just, I've, I've been in there when it was packed and I was just like, oh, it's too many people for me. <laughs> yeah, just, just a couple too many people. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm going to go to the green room. <laughs> I, that's where I feel, I'm more comfortable. <laughs> I feel like that's also one of the odd benefits of, of lefties is you guys don't have a parking lot right in front of the place, but you have all of this awesome side street parking and residential area nearby where you can – I can go over here, park, and walk a block. And yeah. it's it's beautiful. It's easy to park. It's easy to get to. It's not downtown. You don't have to pay for a parking ramp. You've got all this. It's yep. it's a nice area to to go to, to to catch a show if you're just going to drive into town and catch a show or go across town. I mean, you don't even have to pay for a parking meter. You don't have to leave the show halfway through to refill the parking meter. No. I, and I love man, like, back to that area of town. I love it. I love it. I love that it feels like you're in a neighborhood. I love the idea that every business on our strip is a local business. There's no conglomerate or chain businesses on our blocks, like, you know, all the way up. The Chinese place is individually, independently, mom and pop. Fernando's, you know, Mexican is mom and pop. Papakino's, like uh, Daydreams or Groovy Goods is what it's called now. Like the vape shop across the street, everybody, Platinum Cuts right next to us doing like cool Brooklyn style barbershop stuff. Like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's just, right it's just got that eclectic feel when you go down into that neighborhood. It's like, Oh yeah, all this is, you want a window shop. You want to go into each place and yeah, you're going to meet the owner. You're probably going to walk in and meet the owner and he's probably going to be cooking your food. Like that's, that's a cool feel to me. Yeah, dude. I mean, that is, that is also, I love that too. Cause I was thinking about that, how you guys always used to have like within walking distance, uh, just about anything you needed. Like if you go there for a show and you're early, there was a place to go grab a bite to eat. Or if, if you came early and you liked guitars, uh, for a long time, crazy horse guitars was right at the end of the block. Yeah. And that place used to just be stacked full of insane instruments. I know. I know. know. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. No, I loved having that. I, you know, we got Sonic factories you got a studio that's, you know, I can throw a rock across the building and hit their front door. Like, it's a it's a cool little Bermuda Triangle. Uh, XBK just opened up around the corner, so you've got another smaller venue right next to us. And I mean, that area is just going to continue to grow, but it's going to grow. I hopefully is what we see is in the right direction. The yeah. the city the the neighborhood association is pretty dedicated to small businesses and to you know mom and pop people like us that had a vision and said we just want to go do something that's good for the community. We're not money people. We're not conglomerate people we're not franchising we're not <laughs> we just want to do something cool and so the yeah. neighborhood association's been behind that the city's been behind us with that and uh yeah we're I, I think that's a lucky environment to be in that if we were in atlanta i couldn't do this like there's, uh, yeah there's, true. there's no way yeah i mean like there's nothing that would ruin the lefties more than if somebody bulldozed a building down the block and put up a, like a mcdonald's or burger king or something you know yeah and, I, i'd have to say like i've We'll 
we'll just move. <laughs> we'll just move. I, don't want, I don't want that on my block. We'll fight that. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, that's one of the coolest things. Lefties has been, um, you've been in business f- for quite a while. You're doing great things with the music scene. And even during this odd time of the coronavirus and things like that, it, you've been doing a due service to the area, still inviting bands to come in and, and creating a, a safe environment for them where you're not packing yeah. the building full of people. You're not stacking three bands deep. You're not trying to overdo anything. It's just, yeah. if, if we want to have a band in and they're okay with it, bring them in. We'll do one show. It'll just be one band. It'll be a nice short set, uh, yep. an hour long or something. And then we'll clean everything off, sanitize it and bring someone in tomorrow if they want to come in and looking yep. at your upcoming events, I mean, you've booked bands. It seems like just about for every night. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's just about every night of the week through April, and I'm already going into May. I'm kind of expecting that that's going to be that we'll probably hear something from the governor tomorrow or the next day. Um, I guess this probably won't air till next week, and we'll probably know when we get to hear this. Is that I think we're going to end up being still locked down into May. So I'm just being preemptive and booking streams into the second week of may and um if i have to turn them into full shows then i'll just get on that horse and ride that thing when i have to so well let's put this out there for people if people want to hit you up about booking a show there what's the best place to get a get a hold of you to do that the best way to get a hold of us for booking is booking at lefteslivemusic.com all right i'm also accessible on on facebook under my first and last name I've kind of just opened all doors at this point. I'm like, I'll take your submissions however I can get them at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and we've had a, a, an influx of, of bands that want to do it. And that's really cool to see that bands are, I mean, it's intimidating, honestly, to go get a professional recording and have no fans in front of you. That's It's it's like being in the studio and you got to kind of step your game up for it. You don't want to play sloppy. So um, I was happy to see just, band after band after band just going yes yes we want to do it yes we want to do it well and it doesn't matter if it's a tuesday or a wednesday because everybody's at home anyway so every day is a weekend it doesn't matter yeah yeah i mean we got in contact you with three finger betty but scheduling didn't line up for uh the date that we had chosen so we're still trying to find a way to get three finger betty in there but i mean if you if, if, if you go to lefties live music hit the events page you got all the events for your live streams in your events page so that's yep. that's also kind of nice that you're putting those up there so people can still see who's going to be on live tomorrow next week three days from now whenever yeah we're being super consistent about um like all of our streams are at eight o'clock at night so we've kind of realized that everybody's you know understanding like well shit at eight o'clock we know that lefties is streaming every night so We've got that. And there's some other cool streams going on around town. The DSM TV stuff that John Locker's doing is fantastic. Yeah. Like, yeah. It looks that good. dude, I mean, Sonic Factory is an amazing studio and he's an amazing um, cinematographer in his own right. So he's got all this great equipment to do film stuff that we don't have. And, and, and John's an amazing guy too. But yeah, I, I love to see that other people are kind of picking it up and going, yeah, because it's, it's one thing to watch people streaming from home you know solo guitar like you had matt woods on i love matt oh yeah and it was cool to watch him like playing from home and you know play this song or play this cover do a john prine song like that stuff's cool but then it was something different to have him come in and play an hour set on the stage oh yeah it's just it's just a different experience and i i mean he loved it we loved it and and the feedback online from from his was absolutely out of this world so um we're just going to keep doing it until 
until they let us uh, get back to normal. And then I think we're going to, I would love to continue providing this service for bands as we move forward too. Yeah. Just saying, Hey, you know, we can, we can get the stems and give you this feed kind of like what you were talking about, just providing that service for bands and saying, we can tape it if you want it and you can keep what you want, throw away what you don't want, but at least you can have some good footage and, um, we're set up to do it now, so why not? Why yeah. not be able to do it? Yeah, that was actually going to be one of my questions. Was what's what's your plan continuing to do this going forward, or is there one, or or do you think yeah. do you think putting out a live feed at the same time a band goes live in your venue, uh, would do you think that would be detrimental to the venue to bring people in, or or I to think, or, or to the I band even? I've definitely got two thoughts on that, like. We'd have to put up a paywall, of course. Like I think that's where you'd have to get into it. Is like we we take the money we make through the door and give it to the bands. And yep. That's a lot of times that's how they get paid. A lot of bands are doing door deals. That's how most of us make our money. So um, there's got to be a way in there to to find a happy medium. Um, and it, and it may be as as we get open back up, we may be doing like soft openings. I'm not really sure. I mean, what it comes down to the governor. If she says, well, you can do gatherings of 50 people now. Oh, yeah. Well, then do. that's going to change our cap and we have to change kind of how we look at it. And so then then it might be an absolute necessity to, to put up a live stream while there's only 50 people in the room watching the band live so that they can get more people through a paywall. Um, but we're open to all of it. Like we want to do whatever is best for the bands and for – the safety of everybody. So we're just going to follow direction and then we're going to be as creative as we can inside of those directions. And, and hopefully we stay open through all of that. That would be, <laughs> that would be the dream. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm intrigued to see how all this all shakes down and what you guys continue to do to support all the musicians that are in the area. Um, I got to say just for me, thanks for doing this. It's really cool to see some of these bands. Some of them I haven't gotten the opportunity to see live and now I get to see them uh, like you said, it's not a cell phone camera video that's right. vertical, that's junky sound. You get a good representation of what the band is. And I'm actually getting to see bands that I know have existed and played in the area for years, finally getting to see them play live with good footage. So it's really cool. I got to say yeah. thanks to you and everybody else that's been working hard to make this happen. Yeah, yeah, man. I know. And we appreciate you covering it. We appreciate um, Audible Farm and you guys bringing attention to it and, and, and what you're doing is fantastic too, man. I know you've been all over the place working and putting up cool content, man. And it, it's just an accumulative effort. We all got to figure out a way to kind of band together and get through it. And then once we do, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll all sing and dance at the end of it. Yeah, man. Um, I, th I think if we all continue to just keep locking arms and walking down the street together, uh, theoretically speaking, uh, not yes. you know, keep your social distance, but this is not theoretically, like yeah, <laughs> theoretically thinking if we all kind of band together, we can make this uh, not as detrimental as it seems from a performer's standpoint. Yeah, and hey, look, if we got to wear like bubble suits or some shit, we'll figure out a way to do that too. You know, I don't, I don't. If if, if we have to wear hazmat suits, I'm okay with that too. But uh, there's not going to be anything that stops local music. There's not going to be anything that stops um, um, humanity in general. I mean, something like this is a shakeup for everybody, and so many small businesses that are hurting and that are going to go under. And um, yeah. I don't feel we're not in that. We're not in that position, and we feel pretty confident that no matter what happens we're going to be okay um but the infrastructure of small businesses is just crumbling around us and it's so sad to see it 
because there's going to be a huge need for it when stuff does come back online. Like we're going to, that, you know, that favorite restaurant, I want flying mango to still be there and I want, you know, Fernando's to still be there. And so yeah, <clears throat> hopefully or, sooner than later. Yeah. Or even like the music, I didn't even think about this. There might be music venues that end up closing because of this. Yes. And, yeah. There's, there's new places. I mean, that just opened up. Like, I mean, we know, we know at least a handful of, you know, independent small business owners that are doing music and art and comedy and they just opened up and I don't even know how we would have dealt with this if we were in our first year. I mean, Oh yeah. We have the benefit of, of having a, a longer stretch. We've been here for five years, so we, we've got a little bit to rest on and we can call on these bands and say, do you want to come in and stream? And people have been super generous with their donations to us. Um, and so they're keeping us afloat and, you know, hopefully the, the community just keeps doing that for everybody. Keep ordering, take out food, keep, I know everybody's tight on money, but you got to support the small businesses during this time too. So, yeah. Um, so for anybody listening, check out lefties live music. You are at lefties live music on Facebook. I'll put other links down below to, uh, I know you've guys got a Twitter and I probably an Instagram. I, yep. I haven't hunted them down, but I'll find the links and put them down below. Also, highly recommend. Uh, don't forget Eric's a musician himself. Uh, this is something I, I gotta say. Like <laughs> every Eric, once in a while, <laughs> yeah. You play in the Maw. I love watching you guys play live. Go to at, at the Maw Music on Facebook. I'll find other links, um, and you can help me with that. But I'll put all that stuff down below uh, so you can find and listen to not just um, the stuff that's going on at Lefties, but check out the Maw as well. Uh, yeah, and when you listen to bands like us. Don't just take the first song. Like you got, you got to do a deep dive. Yes. you got to get past the first song, get into the second song because each one of them is going to be a completely different journey. I know a lot of people are like, I listen to one song and you guys are kind of jazzy and I'm not really into jazz. I'm like, well, if you listen to the next song, it's a doom metal song. So yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> dude. I gotta say. First and foremost, thanks for say, taking some time out of your day to sit sure, down and man. talk with me because I know you're busy doing the lefties thing still. Uh, just doing all of the stuff you do there, I, I absolutely love it. I got to say thanks for uh, not just providing a place to play, but for having my band in there and letting them play at venue, you know, a venue such as this, and and giving us the opportunity to open up for some cool bands and and play there and and entertain the community. Yep, and we're gonna keep doing it. We're gonna and and. 2020 is not over. We're going to, we're going to have great shows coming up and we'll have you guys back in the room and everybody else and life's going to go on. I, I, I have faith in it. Awesome. Hey, uh, Eric, thanks a million. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Peter. There's another episode in the bank and it's another good one. Um, I, I don't want to be like, yeah, my episodes are all great, but no, the guests make these episodes awesome. Uh, I've never sat down and really talked with Eric too much. I mean, I have talked to him before, but I haven't talked to him too much uh, in regards to what he's done in the past musically, etc. And it's really cool. You know, it's really cool to hear that he's not just been, you know, I've seen him play piano in the Maw, uh, piano keys, seen him play keyboards in the Maw. But I, you know, I didn't, I've seen pictures of him playing trumpet. I didn't know how deep it all got. So it's really kind of cool to, to sit and realize that one of the guys sitting there uh, helping book all the talent that comes through lefties is... Uh, that talented of a musician himself. So it's really kind of sweet. It's really it's really sweet to see that that's, uh, it all kind of comes full circle there. 
not that you have to be a talented musician to book shows, but it's also really cool that that's just the case. So uh, shout out to Eric uh, over at Lefties. Everybody check it out if you've got a, a band anywhere in Iowa and you want to maybe try and book a show in the Des Moines area. Uh, check out the Lefties shows. Uh, send them something that you got. Let them know uh, what kind of recordings you got or anything. Uh, maybe you can, he'll, maybe he'll book you on a show there sometime. You know, like we talked about in this podcast, sometimes those guys will just have giant lists of bands and be like, I think these guys are still together. They mesh well with this. I'll hit them up and see what they say. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't hurt to throw your name in the hat. So check it out if you guys uh, are looking for a place to play in the Des Moines area. Maybe Lefties is the place for you. If nothing else, check out the talent they got coming through there, um, you know, on a regular basis, on nor- under normal conditions, that is. There's, there's something there every month for everybody. So check it out. It's really kind of cool to have a place like that in Des Moines in a unique location you know like uh, we talked about it's not necessarily downtown and it's it's, it's kind of you know kind of near the university ish yeah sort of uh, but yeah it's it's cool check it out it's easy to find it's easy to park near it's uh, tons of local places you can walk around the area and find something else fun to do while you're waiting for the show to start too so check it out guys Hey, Eric, thanks for joining me on this episode. Um, Huge shout out to him taking some time out of his day in between doing all of the coordinating over at Lefties because they're still doing uh, shows. So check out their Facebook for that. I got links for everything down below. So check it all out. And uh, thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. If you want to check anything else out, go to www.audiblefarm.com. All the episodes are there as well as links to all the places you can find Audible Farm. And uh, there's even a post there about t-shirts and sweatshirts. We got some swag. If you guys want anything like that, uh, hit me up. I got I got the goods. So hit us up if you want a t-shirt or a sweatshirt or both. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll throw some stickers in there for free. Haha. So hit us up, uh, www.audiblefarm.com. And I will check everybody next week. Peace.